Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hi, Keegan. Hi, Madigan. I I stepped in as quickly as I could because you always say hello first. Oh, wow. I never even thought about that. Yeah. And I wanted to switch it up. Like, I always just kind of wait and don't say anything until you say, all right. Man, I wonder if, like, if you're a listener, have you ever noticed that? Write in and, and let us know. <laughs> was this jarring for you to hear Madigan speak first? It probably was because I was like, hi. <laughs> yeah, very aggressive about it. Maybe that's what it was. I didn't mean for it to be. I just didn't want to miss my opportunity, you know? <laughs> no, I'm not mad at it, actually. I like I like a little aggression. It's like improv. I had to, like, yes and the situation mm-hmm. just, like, get in there a little bit, you well, know? I appreciate it. Really taking that burden off me. <laughs> Such a burden before I could tell. You're just like, oh, finally, <laughs> Madigan down. said something first. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, what are we talking about today, Keegan? Well, okay. So we had decided to talk about this before the results of the 2020 election had come in, which should go to tell you that we knew exactly how this shit was about to play out. Exactly. (laughs) We knew because Trump told us straight to our faces that he was going to contest this election no matter what happened. And we have seen a lot of parallels drawn between the 2020 election and the 2000 presidential election. And a lot of people have have gone like news networks have been comparing it yes. a lot and I know yep. you're about to say there really aren't a lot they're of similarities they're really not that similar even though the Trump administration and a lot of GOP people um, have continued to draw those parallels uh, like in our in our mini episode, I was talking about how the Trump administration is attempting to block the Biden administration, the incoming Biden administration from um, transitioning into the White House. And I think the GSA, I can't remember what that stands for, but the government agency that kind of oversees uh, passing along a lot of the information, especially about national security onto uh-huh. Biden, um, what they are saying basically is that this is like the 2000 election. Uh, and in the 2000 election, we did not pass the information on until everything was complete. Right. So we are going to hold off just like we did in 2000. But the situation is very, very different today. Yeah. So just to give a quick overview of why it's different before we get into the details of just what happened and who these people were and this whole time period, which I'm sure I remember this fairly well. Do you remember this pretty well, Keegan? Like, I wasn't that involved in politics, but I definitely remember all of this going down. Yeah. Okay. So I was 10. So that would have made you like eight, right? I was eight. Yes, I was eight. Yeah, in in the in the year two thousand. So what I remember is a lot of people talking about it. Mm-hmm. I remember it being on in my house. I mean, the news was on everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And this, I want to say, this was a very different time for a lot of our like Gen Z listeners. We didn't have social media at all. There was no being on Twitter with kind of like minute by minute updates. There was no refreshing your phone every second to look at the electoral map. So every single house had this on 
for days, you know, oh, for, for weeks. weeks. It was it yes. was insane. And I don't I don't remember that as much because I just didn't pay attention to the news growing up. I would just go turn on the TV and watch cartoons and do my own thing. But what I remember most, and this is something that I brought up a lot on the podcast, it was the time that I was first called a baby killer was when I was eight years old oh, that's in right. third grade. And so I that was kind of the first time that I became aware that uh, some of my views may not be the same as some other people's. And I was the only kid in my class who said that their parents were voting for Gore. I think this was the the last time that my parents voted for a Democrat. My really? parents voted for Gore were in they the 2000 Cl- election. Were they Clinton fans? They were. Well, you know, my parents just became far more conservative as they got older. Yeah. By the time 2004 came along, I think I think September 11th really changed a lot of people. I think um, you're right. My parents included. So by the time 2004 came along, I think that they were just fully on that bush train yeah you know at that point a lot of people were so let's kind of I wanted to talk about who these candidates are I was gonna say who they were but they're not dead who they They are are alive yes but they're not our current old old men but they're old men yes exactly um I have a feeling that a lot of our American listeners know who George W. Bush is he is the son of George H.W. Bush who was a president before him uh nepotism is strong in this country especially in political (laughs) dynasties oh my gosh okay and that plays a role in this in this story as well. It does. But speaking of political dynasties, I'm going to interject really quick because there is a documentary series on HBO Max called American Dynasties, The Kennedys. It's like a six-part series. It's really good. Really, really good. There's a reason why families shouldn't be doing this shit. We're not a monarchy in this country. We need to stop this. We need to stop. On both sides of the aisle. Like, we got to stop with these, like, political (laughs) dynasties, these families that just forever will just be allowed into politics because your great-grandfather was a fucking whatever. Like, enough. I I couldn't agree with you more and disagree with the concept. I completely, completely understand. Okay, so who is George Walker Bush? Did you know Walker was his middle name? I did not. I did. Very proud of you. Thank you. He was born on July 6th, 1946 in New Haven, Connecticut. For being such a Texan, like I feel like people really consider him to be like such well, a, you know, from yeah. Texas. And he's he was born in Connecticut. He was born in Connecticut, but he did. He was raised in Midland, Texas. Uh, so he he is a Texan, but he was born in Connecticut. Um And his dad, who would one day be President Bush, as I said, was a law student at the time. So I think that's why they were living in Connecticut. I think that it was because his mom was there with his dad for law school. Well, and when you look at the personas of George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush, they're very different. Yes. Like, if someone had told me George H. W. Bush was from Connecticut, I would be like, that makes sense total sense he's got a real waspy appeal to him um whereas you look at george w bush and he is this kind of like you know he looks yeah he looks like a guy who's gonna shoot finger guns at you from across the room like that's his vibe he's he's the jock class clown Yes, in high school, that just drunk, never, which he was, which for he years. was, one hundred percent. So he is the oldest child of his parents, George H. and Barbara Pierce. His siblings are Jeb, which we know, Neil, Marvin, and Dorothy. 
Oh, this is a fun fact, and I learned something about just Texas in general when I researched this. George Bush was a cheerleader in high school and in college. I knew that. And, okay, so I asked Max about this, my resident Texan, and he's like, oh, yeah, my uncle was a cheerleader, too. Apparently, it's like a really normal thing in Texas for guys to be cheerleaders. It's a little surprising. I wonder if that's the same to this day. Because I know it feels like you know there's a lot of hyper masculinity involved in the south totally um and in a lot of other places having been a cheerleader myself um in southwest missouri which is really not that far from texas like it was very stigmatized there were no male cheerleaders at all in any school that i competed against or yeah. was you know the, at all being in the mind of george w bush though as like a high school boy college boy he was probably like you know you saw cheer you know it's the people that like hold the girls he's probably looking up girls skirts the whole time and stuff. i saw bring it on that's what they do in that movie i've never seen male cheerleaders i've never seen (laughs) i keegan this i'm surprised you don't know this about me already there is about a like 20 year gap of movies between like the 90s and the 2000s that i just like haven't seen like there's a lot of like i didn't see home alone until two years ago forrest gump until maybe four years ago it's crazy. Like, there's just a huge, like, gap in my knowledge of movies, and I have a film degree, which is crazy. I am appalled. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I, I could, yeah, I could go further. I had a few embarrassing moments in college uh, in tests when they asked me to use an example of three movies and all three of those movies I had ever seen. So that was really, that was fun. All right, so George W. did go to Yale and got a Bachelor of Arts in History. And like I said, he was also a cheerleader for Yale. And he was the president of his fraternity because, of course, he was. He graduated from Harvard with a business degree in 1973 and then became the governor of Texas in 1994. Can we just pause and say, again, yes. nepotism. Because yes. like everyone knows George W. Bush. He is not known to be a brilliant he, academic mind. He not right? that smart. He not that and, smart. And yet he managed to go to Yale and Harvard. Um, yeah. Okay. It's I actually I should have looked up where his father went to school, but I will bet you any money that there was affiliations somewhere in his family to probably for sure. I mean, and his way. his father had been the vice president and president of the United States. Okay, well, not yeah, president yeah. yet, but the vice president for sure. So I forgot about that. Yep, during yeah. that time. So then George became the governor of Texas in '94, and that was the same year that his brother Jeb sought to become the governor of Florida. So now George H. W. Bush has his two sons kind of like rising up the political ladder. So let's look a little bit at what George Bush was up against a little bit in this 2000 primary. So along with Bush, John McCain was one of the other Republican candidates, and he Mm -hmm. was like the major competitor in the Republican Party. And George W. portrayed himself as being a compassionate conservative, saying he was more centrist than other Republicans. Like he kind of tried to play to that side of it a lot during the primary. He talked about wanting to bring integrity and honor back to the White House, which was totally a burn to Clinton, which I think is hilarious which, and totally again, not is true. <laughs> kind of funny coming yeah. from somebody who like didn't he get like a shit ton of like DWIs yeah. and like <laughs> Oh, but like George W. Bush had a very wild reputation for a long time. But he didn't get blowjobs in the Oval Office, so he's well, gonna throw that but like it's true. Like it that was something that I think a lot of Republicans at that time probably 
like pounced looked on, at course. and pounced on. So with him making that joke, I I mean, I found it funny. I wrote burn really big in my notes. Uh, so I can see why, you know, other Republicans would kind of jump on that bandwagon, especially because Al Gore was the vice president for Clinton. So also before I move on to Al Gore, because I'm almost there, I want to talk about the fact that George W. Bush chose Dick Cheney, who was the former <laughs> White House Chief of Staff and Secretary of Defense, to be his running mate. And this was monster. kind of... He's a monster. And this was seen as being kind of a controversial choice for a lot of people. But it does make a lot of sense, especially if you know anything about George W. and if you've seen the movie Vice. Um, <laughs> they are completely different human beings and they both work very differently where I don't well, think a lot of the things would have happened in his administration had it not been for hundred percent. I mean the thing is yes of course Vice is a movie and you know you have to take some of the stuff with a grain of salt but the right. truth is um, that Cheney was a great political mind he was yeah. an evil motherfucker but he was a, a great political mind George W. Bush was not, but no. George W. Bush was charismatic and seemed like, to quote Hamilton, you could have a beer with him. How yeah. many times did you hear people say that? And he does. He gives off that vibe that like you want to hang out, you want to have a beer, you want to eat a steak. You Max know, like, says that to this day, and I'm like, I will not be in attendance. Fuck that man. I hate well, him. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the thing like is, he seems he, cool, but I hate him. Fuck him. He has a if he wasn't the president making decisions that cost people their lives. Yes. Um, but he has that kind of personality. Cheney has the personality of a fucking doorstop. He's yeah. trash. So trash. together, you know, they made this kind of duo where it's like, you know, Trump or not Trump. Wow. Bush <laughs> was going to be the face and Cheney would be the brains. He'd be like the authority almost a little bit, you know, right. and I think it's almost, you know, it's funny that you say Trump because I think we made a bit of a comparison, not necessarily to Bush and Cheney, but just a comparison of Trump and Pence at the beginning of this, too, where it's like, you know, Pence is scary because he's smarter. You know what I mean? He's been in this longer. He knows what he's doing, where Trump is just kind of this stupid idiot. It kind of seems like a similar thing where it's the guy right. behind if only, the scenes. If only Pence had been forceful enough to be able to take those reins, you know, we would have seen something different. My gosh, um, yes. All right, so let's move on to Albert Arnold Gore Jr. Oh, wow. He was born on March 31st, 1948 in Washington, D.C. In Aries. Okay. <laughs> I love that you... I can't remember all of them. You're very good at, like, picking out people's... Wouldn't have, wouldn't have pegged him for an Aries. I only know that because I'm a Pisces Aries, and so I know that he's um, right after me. Oh, and George Bush is a Cancer. Don't trust male Cancers. I'm a Cancer. His birthday is three days before mine. Female Cancers are lovely. We're a little bit emotional, but male cancers, if they're anything like my father, Lord help you. I feel that um, way about female and male Pisces as well. But really? you know what? If we have male Pisces and cancer listeners, we ain't mad at you. Just saying. I, no. Although, I don't know. I've met a couple male cancers that are just very insufferable. So prove me wrong. I'm happy to be proved wrong. But maybe maybe they're too similar to me. I don't know. Maybe just it's too my late. Own. They've turned the podcast off and they've walked away. <laughs> You're all insufferable. Sorry. Okay, so <laughs> I take it back. I don't mean a word of it. So his dad was Albert Gore Sr., who was a U.S. representative who served for 18 years as a U.S. senator from Tennessee. So he comes from that political mindset as well. They actually have a lot of parallels, I feel, just in the way of that they kind of they had do. their 
political dynasties a little bit. Uh, his mom's name was Pauline, and she was one of the first women to graduate from Vanderbilt University Law School, which I thought okay, was get super, it, Pauline. Right? So I had to add that in there. So Gore also attended Harvard, and he titled his thesis, The Impact of Television on the Conduct of the Presidency of 1947 to 1969. Wow. Which I think is kind of this interesting prelude to how the media... Uh, molded his own election in 2000. So I think that's kind of a fascinating foreshadowing. He was an interesting one. I mean, again, for a lot of our, yes, for a lot of our younger listeners, like Al Gore, again, I really do feel like it played a factor. Unfortunately, we we know that television does play a factor, uh, you know, between the the Nixon and Kennedy debates, right? Yeah. Where it's just like, whoa, Kennedy is way hotter than you. And that played a major, <laughs> it, it played a major factor. And the same kind of thing is happened here. Like, Bush may not have been smart, but he was charismatic um, and charming. And Al Gore was boring. Like, yeah, Al Gore... He was boring. A snooze fest. And that man is smart. Yeah. He's real well, smart. It's interesting, though, because, like, if you look at, and I'll talk about this when we get closer to talking about the actual election, but the polling before, which, again, you can't really buy into too much. But even if you look at, you know, how close the election was, he was really liked. Like, a lot of people really liked him and were excited about him, which I find interesting because even though I knew that, you know, my parents were in line with his views and that's who I would have wanted to vote for, you know, if I was able to at the time, I don't remember thinking this guy was anything special. I think a lot of people, I think he rode pretty far as well um, on being Clinton's vice president. Very much so. Because even though there was scandal at the end of Clinton's presidency, people still really liked him. Yeah, he was yeah. still a very likable person. He was still a good president, too. Yeah, and a lot of people thought that he was really unfairly attacked. Um, so I think that Gore got a lot of traction from that as well. Totally. Oh, I think being Clinton's vice president was like the reason that he probably yeah. made it, you know. Uh, he graduated cum laude in June 1969 from Harvard. He then helped his father write an anti-war address to the Democratic Convention in 1968, which is super cool. Um, but this is funny that he stayed in the hotel room during the violent protests. He had a really big issue with like violence and things like that, so he decided to stay in the hotel room. He agreed that the war should end, but didn't agree with the protesters' tactics to get it done, which I'm kind of like... Okay. Yeah, exactly. Where so have he, we seen this before? Exactly. He's a very standard Democrat, right? Like a moderate, middle-of-the-road Democrat. Right down the aisle, yeah. exactly, yeah. So he began serving the U.S. Congress in 1977 when he was only 28 years old, and he would be Whoa, there. Yeah, that's, my dude. That's my age. It's yeah. got people making me feel old. And he would be there for 16 years until 1985, which is when he reached the Senate in Tennessee and stayed there until 1993. So he took his father's spot, which I didn't even realize until I read it out loud. Al Gore actually originally ran for president in 1988. Did you know this? Because I did I not. I did not. Okay, so he first ran for president against Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, my dear. <laughs> and just... Man, j- oh, God, they're so old. I know, right? <laughs> Oh, I know. Joe Biden is so old. <laughs> and Jesse Jackson was another one of his running I remembered mates. that, yes. Yeah. And I literally wrote in my, my I literally wrote in my notes, oh dear, he old as fuck. 
So Gore was not expected to win the primary, but if he had won, he was only 39 years old and that would have made him the youngest serious presidential candidate since John F. Kennedy. And he finished third overall in the primary. So he wasn't unliked, but he did not make it all the way. And then came the 1992 presidential election when Clinton asked him to be his running mate, which apparently Gore was hesitant to do at first. But after seeing George H.W. Bush's administration on on climate change, he wanted to run to do something about climate change. Yes, and he's still a massive climate change advocate. That's like his thing. He's done so much research, and, you know, we would not be as far along as we are um, without Al Gore, so we owe him a huge debt of gratitude. And what I wrote next in my notes is, if Gore had been elected in 2000, I just wonder what kind of work he could have done on climate change and where the world would be today. That's such an interesting point. I mean, I I really feel like we would be much further along. But then again, the pendulum always swings, you know, because we had Carter who actually put up solar panels on the White House and then Reagan came in and the first thing the administration did was take them down. Yep. So, I mean, who fucking knows? I know, I know. So before the election started, Gore already had criticism of George W. Bush. You know, obviously their policies were very different. Gore was very anti-war, and the Bush administration, as we know, would not be. Uh, George H.W. Bush, that's something I learned very young. You know, my parents were like, he really wanted a war, and he never got it. I think that was kind of this, like, tagline yes, that it, followed. it was. Um, and I don't know what, what truth there is to that exactly, but I know that Bush was more well, supportive of war it's in the a country. fact that yeah. um war wartime presidents are more popular uh at least for a time and we did right. see that there was a time right after 9-11 when everybody was on board with bush and yeah. had bush not gone on to a second term um i think Yes, there were still a ton of criticisms of him, um, you know, a couple years into his presidency. But I think that we would have thought differently of him because there was that period where we all were kind of like united as Americans. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because Gore was vocal years later about talking about how he feels that Bush used the 9-11 tragedy as justification to invade Iraq and was very open about that. You know, it's just... Or Cheney did. Or Cheney did, Bush is not smart enough to have done that. (laughs) He's not. He didn't think that true. He didn't think that through. Should we get into talking about the election itself? Yes. Election night. Okay, so... I do want to say that the 2000 presidential election was considered to be the most controversial in the history of the United States until right now. Yeah, exactly. So this election was held on November 7th, 2000. And um, on election night, there was no clear winner. So print and broadcast media cited contradictory exit polling numbers. And the races in Oregon and New Mexico remained too close to call for days. And, you know, we watched, both of us watched a documentary on um, YouTube called Endless Election. It's mm-hmm. a CNN documentary. And it was very interesting to watch, you know, all of these kind of insiders and also all of these mostly, but not all, um, CNN broadcasters yeah. talking about what it was like to be working on this because the polling was all messed up kind of from the beginning. It like, was crazy. And nobody really knew what was going on? And I also remember people talking about like you didn't question what was 
put in front of you. Like if this was given to you as news, you reported it, even if you had kind of these questions, you know? I, I can't remember exactly what they said, but they did say, you know, yes, you trusted you trusted what was put in front of you because for years and years it worked and it was correct. But something had gone wrong in the exit polling numbers. Um, yep. So the information they were giving was not always correct. And different news sources or different um, networks were giving conflicting information. But yeah. And then and then true, feeding off of each other in a weird way. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was bizarre. Nobody knew what but, they were doing. What they all kind of agreed on, though, not necessarily agreed on, but what was true was that on election night, even though we had some states, again, Oregon and New Mexico, several others that were too close to call and wouldn't be called for days, those states had relatively low electoral numbers. And so just like we kind of saw in this election, it would ultimately come down to a state that had a lot of electoral votes. And that state this time was Florida. Florida Florida had 25 electoral votes. And, you know, I was actually thinking this. I don't want to do this next week because I need a mental brain break from Mm -hmm. (laughs) elections and politics. Right. But if our listeners are interested in um, having maybe a breakdown of what the Electoral College is and how it came about. Yeah. Let us know, because I know for years I was very confused about the Electoral College um, and why our elections operate the way that they do because other countries are not like that. I mean, so it, it would have made this situation impossible. I don't think that this situation would have happened in 2000 or in 2020 had we just taken it, the popular a hundred, vote. 100% would not have because the the margin of error wouldn't have been so slim. Right. Like the margin of error in the 2000 election, as we'll get to later, but I mean, the margin of error was about 500,000 votes. Yeah. Um, this election, it's like going on four, 5 million votes. Right. But even with 500,000 votes, yes, some states may have needed to recount and there might have taken some time, but the margin is so wide that it would have gone to Gore, right? Because there's 500,000 votes and Biden would have won on election night probably. Yeah. If it was by the popular vote and other countries do do it by one person, one vote. Um, And so if you are interested in knowing why we as Americans do it a completely different way, um, let us know and we'll consider maybe doing an episode. Yeah, we might, you know, maybe after the holidays. Let's give ourselves a little bit of a... I need a a mental break from even doing this one. I was like, oh my God, if I read the word electoral college one more time. One more time, I know. So I read a few differing accounts, but I went with this one because I saw it on a few. They say that Fox News actually announced that Florida was going to Bush first at 2.17 a.m. And then CNN, ABC, CBS, and other networks kind of followed through after that. And then pretty soon after, like a, a few minutes later, they were like, just kidding, never mind, like it's too close to call. And then they called Gore as being the winner of Florida and then very quickly retracted that as well. Yeah, it was pandemonium. Like from what I saw, they called Gore early on. And yeah. Bush, and there's video of him kind of like in the hotel room or wherever he is. Oh, of refusing Bush? To, yeah, refusing to his, believe the reports. He's in his government. What I wrote is at this point, Bush is shaking in his cowboy boots at the governor's mansion. Yes, there it he's is. He's in yeah, Texas so- at the governor's mansion and just freaking the fuck out. And and he's saying, he's like, I, and you know, because we now have a president who is like an absolute petulant child, yeah. it's easy to look at this footage of Bush and be like, oh, he's being a baby about this. But in reality, I mean, 
everybody was like, what? Like, how can they call it so early? And so it makes sense that he was like, I don't believe it. I don't think we have all the votes yet. And so I'm refusing to accept that Gore won that state. And and that's what's crazy. So all of this is happening. And they're going back and forth with who won, who didn't win Florida. And then Gore decides to call Bush. Well, wait. Oh, wait. There's more things that happened first. Sorry. Yeah, no. So it was around... Okay, so it swung to Gore, right? And then it swung back and again, too close to call. That's the thing that everybody, we're going to say it probably a million more times, (laughs) too close to call. So it became too close to call once again. And then it swung towards Bush. So it was around 2 a.m. in the morning that it swung towards Bush. And Bush had opened an insurmountable, what appeared to be an insurmountable lead yeah. And had taken Florida. And so there were news agencies that were saying that um, he's taken Florida and thus been awarded the presidency because he has enough electoral votes. Right. However, again, it was conflicting information. And even people, when you watch this documentary, who were on Gore's team. You mean Bush's team? No, no, no. People who were on Gore's team oh, hadn't yeah. really seen and or bought into that information. Right. So it was surprising to them that, that Gore called Bush. Yes. And it was it's funny because, you know, these men did not like each other. So this conversation no. lasted about 10 seconds. You know, Gore got on the phone and was like, mm, there you have it. It you was know, a congratulatory won. formality. Exactly. But his running mate, Lieberman, does not know where Gore is. He doesn't he doesn't know what's going on. He's freaking Which, out. Al, my friend. I know. Al, why would you not tell your staff? Like, because there were people on his staff who were like, I would have advised against him yes. conceding the election well, the, that I, early. The part that I loved in this in the documentary that we watched that I sent you, the CNN documentary, was when the numbers guy realizes, like, no, 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 wait, wait, what is he doing? Like, there's still time. And then who's the guy that's literally in charge of, there was somebody that was told, like, you need to go get him now. Like, literally right, was, like, okay. running, trying yeah. to, like, reach Al before so he reaches the stage. So I just watched this today. So this is fresh in my brain. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so he calls Bush to concede the election. And then an hour later, like, Gore's people got to him and they were like, hey, it's very apparent that the Florida race is much, much closer than we had originally believed. There were fewer than 600 votes that separated the candidates and that margin appeared to be narrowing in Gore's favor. So at 3 a.m., um, he calls Gore. He's about to. OK, so at 3 a.m., <laughs> he is headed to the like stage to he give is his on concession a mission. Speech. Right, like he is on his way. And then there's a member of his staff. You're right, like the numbers guy. I can't remember his name. Yeah. But he is like, we have to get him, stop him. Whoever's there with him, drag him away and put him in a room. Well, Don't but- let him go anywhere until I can get there. Because he was literally about to walk on the stage yeah, who, to who announce was the his guy, concession. Who was the guy that actually, because it was the guy telling the story that was like, I grabbed him like as he was getting on the stage and was like, yes. what the fuck are you doing? He didn't say that. pulled him but. into a room. Like they basically grabbed Gore and <laughs> shut him into a room and explained to him, there are fewer than 600 votes. The margin is narrowing. Yeah. And so it was at that time that he did something that was unprecedented before or since, I think. Un- and called bush unprecedented so i (laughs) i have uh i I meant to send this to you so we could read this back and forth it's not going to be as fun right now but bush apparently on his end just said 
You mean to tell me, Mr. Vice President, you're retracting your concession? And Gore said, you don't have to be snippy about it. (laughs) And then he said, let me explain something. Your younger brother is not the ultimate authority on this because, of course, who's the governor of Florida? It's Jeb Bush. It's George's younger brother, Jeb. So what we can assume is happening in this conversation, because we really only have like one side of it, and it's the Gore side, is that... And and this is also, I mean, there were people on Bush's side who were saying this is kind of how it went down is you have Jeb Bush there assuring his brother George, like, yeah, no, you've won Florida. Like, you you've got won this. Florida. Yeah. So then you've got dumb, dumb George on the phone with Al Gore saying, but my little brother says I've won it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, but, but my brother said, and he's like, no, your brother does not have the authority here. It was just, it's such a funny interaction. I just so, like that. He said, you, yes. you don't have to be so snippy about it. So he <laughs> retracted his concession, which I don't think has ever happened before or since. Or since. Like, it's crazy. I mean, we've had a president not concede. Yes, we've had a president not concede. We've had a president, you know, presidents not attend the inauguration of their, you know, successors. We've had all of these things happen. But and, you know, we've yeah, I don't think we've ever had a president give a concession and then be like, take back. Just kidding. Well, and that, you know, I, I don't go into this much, but apparently that was a big point of contention during the next like five weeks of all this chaos because people were like, oh, well, he, you know, he conceded. So we really shouldn't be going any through any of this at all. You know, we should have stayed. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, there was one member of Gore's team who had encouraged him to concede and was asked at the end of this CNN documentary, mm-hmm. you know, do you regret having instructed him to concede? And he says, yes, I do regret it because it set us up. You know, this whole thing, it's like a domino effect. It like is. one thing kind of led into another thing. And there were so many things at play. And I've got to say, I put my tinfoil hat on a little bit at one point during this conversation or not during this conversation during this research I'm a little bit I don't know I think some of this is kind of suspect I find it very very strange there are some things that are suspect and we will talk about those for sure yeah so the United States waited 36 days to learn who would be their new president I thought it was longer than that though I think some people are saying different things no, I think it was 36. I thought I had 36 or 37. So okay. it was around that amount of time. But it's crazy. Because really, we had five days where we weren't sure and we were losing our goddamn minds. Yes. This was over right. a month of people being completely right. unsure of who their president was going to be. So let's talk about a little bit of what happened during that yes. month. So Florida state election law required a mandatory statewide machine recount. And so by November 10th, so three days later, the machine machine recount was complete and Bush's lead still stood at 327 votes out of 6 million cast. So I also want to put that into perspective for people. When you're trying to compare this election to the 2020 election, we're talking about a margin of a few hundred votes. Right now, Biden leads in several states by tens of thousands. It's not it's not anywhere near close to the same. The margin of error is 327 out of 6 million. Yeah. Um, so it's not anywhere it's near not. the same. It's not. Well, and the thing is, is that because these margins were so low, again, like there is right now, there were a lot of people crying voter fraud. You know, a lot of people. But this time it was more on the gore side where I feel like people were 
wondering why Bush was coming out on top because Gore had won the popular vote. Gore had won the popular vote. And then also there were actual legitimate issues with this election. So there were court challenges issued um, over the legality of hand recounts in select counties where um, they were counting by hand, which, of course, leads to a margin of human error. And then county officials had to try to discern voter intent through Say it with me. Hanging yep, chads. Hanging chads. How many times did we hear fucking hanging chads? <laughs> Which was basically... Okay. Yeah. So I I remembered hearing hanging chad a lot, as we just <laughs> said. But I don't think I ever really... There were Halloween costumes. People yeah, well, How I Met Your Mother. Do you remember? hanging Yeah, chads. do you remember that episode? Oh, yeah, that's right. They did do that. And he still went mm-hmm. as a hanging chad even like eight years later or something like that because he wanted to meet the girl... The slutty pumpkin. Yeah, that's right. When it was no, when it was no longer relevant. Exactly. Right. So I never really thought about it. I thought it was just kind of like a nickname, but apparently a chad refers to the fragments sometimes created when holes are made in a paper. So like if you're doing the hole punch, the piece that falls out is called a chad, which I did not know. Maybe I'm just the last person on the planet to know this. So a hanging chad is when the chads are attached to the ballot at only one corner. So they're like hanging on for dear life, like about to fall off. Right. So they're incom- incompletely punched paper yeah. ballots. Like that was a big part of this. Like now we all vote kind of like electronically or we're like manually filling in bubbles. This was, and I voted this way before, where you have the little pen punch and you like through. punch yeah. through. And it, it was, there were yeah. issues Issues were mistakes Big issues. Were made. So a swinging chad is when the chads are attached to the ballot at two corners, tri chads attached at three, and then pregnant or dimpled chads are attached to the ballot at all four corners, but have an indentation indicating the voter may have left a mark at that candidate. So right. like they tried to push it through, but it didn't go right. All the way so through. that is an issue for both hand counting and for the computerized counting. Now, Gore was more for the hand counting. He and his lawyers really, really pushed for the hand counted votes. Well, in in that way, it was easier to, and you have all these pictures, very famous pictures of poll counters holding up, you know, looking at the hanging chads, right? Because yes, like if you're a human with common sense and you're looking at a ballot and you're seeing that there is a hole punched through for gore and it's there's a chad that's hanging on by one little right. corner you're like yes clearly the person who was voting was exactly. voting for gore like so, a machine might not be able right. to so tell that you was that. kind of gore's perspective i think with that is like he he more so trusted that humans would see that and understand what the intent was for that voter um, where bush really wanted these tabulating machines to keep running them but there were lots of issues with those machines on election day and throughout the recounts. So they were kind of at a stalemate for a way to recount these ballots in in a normal way, I guess. Right. Well, and, you know, beyond the the Chad issue, um, there was a bigger issue. And this I can't fucking get over. um, The issue of the butterfly ballot design. Now, I cannot stress to you how dumb this design is. So this, this, I can't overemphasize that. I looked at this and I was like, I cannot believe that this 
was this made it through all of these checks. So it was used in Palm Beach County, and it caused a lot of confusion for Gore voters because it had punch holes in the center of the ballot, and it prompted them to inadvertently cast their votes for a third-party yeah. candidate na- named um, Pat Buchanan. A huge piece of shit. I was going to say, um, we and that so name. he received... He's a terrible person. He received um, like 3,400 votes, which was 20% of his total oh vote statewide. It was very <laughs> clear that this was a mistake because they were very close yeah. to each other. The design of this ballot made no sense. And in this documentary, people on both sides admit yeah. that. They say like, yeah, the design was terrible. However, it was designed by a Democratic elections director. <sighs> And both Democrats and Republicans had signed yeah. off on this ballot design before the 2000 election took right. place. So Gore's team didn't really have a leg to stand on when it came to, you know, discounting yeah, those votes or it. like, yeah, because they had the opportunity. Democrats had the opportunity to say, no, 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 this this design isn't right. going to work before the elections right. took place and they well, didn't which do is, that and which is probably another reason why they wanted it done by hand you know what i mean so that it wouldn't continually be discredited right. and things like that so um gore's team felt that the game was rigged against them um which it, it makes sense why they would feel that way because first of all jeb bush was yeah. the governor at the time and um according to sources from that cnn documentary no law firms in florida would work for al gore because they were afraid of antagonizing this again very powerful dynastic yeah. family uh with one who happens to be the governor of their state so you had that and then you had good old Catherine oh, harris Catherine harris kathy kathy kathy, kathy. so she was the person in charge of directing the counties to re-canvas and retabulate the votes as was required by Florida law. However, she was also George Bush's campaign chair in Florida yeah. and the, the secretary of state um, for Florida. So she she was his campaign chair and was the person in charge of like making sure everything was done yeah it's it's so shady and apparently the bush campaign wasn't even that happy with her about her handling of the incident i think they probably wanted that woman was vilified she was vilified in her memoir center of the storm she says that they had hired someone to act as her handler after the election was over which is kind of wild because by late november um, you know, the Florida State Canvassing Board certified Bush the yeah. winner by 537 votes. And it was Catherine Harris who announced, who announced on TV mm-hmm. that he had won this election. Exactly. You know, so it's kind of surprising to me that they were displeased with I, her handling I mean, I it. guess it was maybe just through the whole process. And even though she ended it well, they just didn't like how she handled the entire thing. I kind of got the vibe that maybe they thought she was being too nice because mm. they interviewed the guy who worked with her and he was like, look, we're not going to break in. He, he said this in the interview. He was like, we're not going to break any laws, but we're bringing yeah. it for yeah. Bush. So buckle up, Kathy, because we're doing oh, what we exactly. got to do. You yeah, know? which is another reason why I'm like, this is kind of shady. So eventually the Florida Supreme Court had to get involved and they ordered a recount of undervotes, which is a ballot that was not counted because of the unclear marking, in all 67 of Florida's counties. They examined the election machines, voter lists, vote counting rules, Florida's shitty election statutes, partisan election officials, and the rules of the courts. Okay, 
um, so once they were through with that, um, it had reduced Bush's lead to a mere 154 votes. And the Bush campaign quickly filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court, asking it to delay recounts until it could hear the case. Um, and a stay was issued by the court on December 9th. Three days later, concluding that a statewide recount could not be performed in time to meet the December 18th deadline for certifying the state electors, the court issued a very controversial at the time, 5-4 decision to reverse the Florida Supreme Court recount order. um, And this effectively awarded the presidency to Bush. And this was historically um, the first time that the the U.S. Supreme Court had intervened with a election. This seems shady as fuck to me. I even Googled 20 or 2000 election conspiracy and I didn't see anything about this but there's got to be conspiracy theories out there because from what I read it seems like the more conservative judges backed Bush while the more liberal judges backed Gore which led to questions about whether or not it was appropriate for the court to intervene at all so it just seems well that becomes the issue exactly. though because this the Supreme Court is supposed to be bipartisan. Exactly. They take a pledge that they will be bipartisan, it, but we all know that they I know, they're not. and that's the thing that and, pisses me off is it, it knowing that it's knowing that the conservatives were backing Bush and that the liberals were backing Gore. Like I don't think either party was correct in doing so. You should be bipartisan and looking at things objectively. Right. But I think the argument that people on the other side of the aisle will make is that the Florida Supreme Court tilted liberal. And so I think that they think that count, calling for another recount, which is what the Florida Supreme Court yeah. did, um, was because it tilted liberal. And so then when it went to the Supreme Court, which tilted conservative, they made a conservative call. This is the problem with our, our yeah. politics. You know, this is why we fear um, somehow in this 2020 election it making it to the Supreme Court because they are so exactly. conservative. They, they would side with Trump. Um, and Right. And even though they all take pledges to be nonpartisan, we all know that that's just not the yeah. truth. It just yeah. isn't. I mean, so. and man, when this thing was over, it was tight. Bush only led Gore in electoral votes at 271 to 266. 271. So I want to remind oh. everyone that you only need 270 yep. to win. Or that's what you need. You need 270. He had 271. It was only one electoral yep. vote. Wow. It was only one electoral vote more than what was required. Yeah. It's it's, it's insanity. Yeah. And, and again, as we said, Gore won the popular vote over Bush by 500,000 mm-hmm. votes. And it was the first inversion of the electoral and popular vote since 1888. Of course, we have seen that happen many times. Can I give can I give Madigan. another history lesson? Your hand is raised. <laughs> can I yes. give a history lesson? Okay, so yes. I wanted to talk a little bit about Rutherford B. Hayes because this was another example of kind of a bizarre election con- conclusion. And I think it kind of fits in best with what we're talking about. So the election of 1876 was also decided by Congress since the Constitution didn't have an answer to this particular problem at the time. So Democrat Samuel Tilden won with 184 
it says 184 electoral votes, but I think they meant 184 more electoral votes. Uh, and he was one sh- vote shy needed for the majority at the time. And Hayes won 165. But then there were still 20 electoral votes that were still in dispute. And they couldn't figure out where those electoral votes were going to go. So these 20 electoral votes that were in dispute were none other than Florida, of course. Surprise, surprise, surprise. surprise. Florida, always making trouble. Always making trouble. And they brought along their buddies this time, Louisiana and South Carolina. So that's where the votes were kind of unsure of where they wanted to take this presidency. So Congress created a bipartisan federal election commission made up of the House of Representatives, senators and Supreme Court justices, which voted to give the 20 votes to Hayes. Historians believe there was a deal brokered between the parties to make this happen, which sounds like that's probably what happened. So the Democrats let Hayes become president in return for the Republicans promising to pull all federal troops from former Confederate states, which does make a lot of sense to me but I thought that was really interesting because it was kind of all of these different political groups and parties kind of coming together and deciding to give all 20 of these votes to one person rather than having it be like a recount or finding like isn't doesn't that just seem bizarre to you that's interesting so that just reminded me of when I was thinking about my possible Supreme Court conspiracy theory with the 2000 election it just made me think of that because like it seems like there really was this deal going on behind closed doors as a way to get the Confederate troops out of the South they kind of just gave the presidency to Hayes so it's kind of off topic but I thought that was interesting so I wanted to add that in there I know it's interesting it is interesting I mean I don't No, I mean, you know me with conspiracy theories, I tend to tread lightly. However, I mean, I will say, and I don't even think it's disputed. Like, I feel like with the 2000 election, even in that documentary, they talk to people on Bush's team who say, I think Bush won from the number of votes cast. Uh I think Gore won for the number of votes intended. Like they basically say that is like because things were messed up in Florida, right? Like that Gore really should have won. But if we're counting the legitimate votes that were cast, then then Bush would win. Now I think that that is why a lot of Republicans and also Trump because he's dumb um i think that's why they have this belief that it could happen now it could happen which is why they're holding uh, because it happened then right because and that's why they keep saying things like legal votes or legitimate votes is because even though gore should have won that election he didn't have enough quote unquote legitimate votes but the difference is the margin between bush and gore it was one state one uh, one state of you know large electoral numbers yeah. um but one state nonetheless and a margin of error of a few hundred yeah. we have something like four or five states <laughs> that are in dispute right now with tens of thousands of I know. votes so it's it's not the same but situation what's, what's, whatsoever what's crazy is that there have only been five presidents through history that have won by only getting the electoral votes, that they have not won the popular votes. And Trump is one of them. Bush is another one of them. Twice. Yeah, yeah yes. Trump now yes. twice. Yeah. Well, but he didn't win the second time. But he didn't win yeah, this so, one. But, but yes, he, yeah. Twice he has lost the popular yeah, vote. Yeah, he is one of the only presidents, one of five, that have ever won and not gotten well, the popular vote. 
This is why the Republican Party will never abolish the Electoral College. Right. Because they can't win without it. Because in the last however many elections, they have lost the popular vote. They've lost the popular vote since Bush, I think. Yeah. Um, so they know they cannot win the presidency if they're not relying on the Electoral College. If it is simply a numbers game, one person, one vote, a popularity contest, yeah. essentially, um, for who people in this country want to be their leader, they will lose. And that should bring everybody a little bit of comfort. Yeah. What that actually says is that this country is far more aligned with you than you might think yeah. looking at who's in charge or or what's on the news. Um, it is leaning progressive. It wants to go that direction. If given the opportunity, it will, yeah. because that's just progress. That's the nature of progress. So I want to take this opportunity right now um, to again say to any of our listeners from Georgia, especially our very young yes. listeners, um, our listeners who might be 18 before December 5th. Um, I think it's December 5th. Double check that date. Don't rely I on I believe me. you're right. But I think it is November 5th, if I'm remembering correctly as well. Or December. December 5th. December 5th, I think. Because the, Oh my the God, we have January. to check. There's no way. We're being too confusing. We, we, we've <laughs> got to check, but... You should also check yourself. If you are 17 right now, basically, check. Um, because if you are eligible to vote, please register to vote in Georgia. Because we need to take control of the Senate. Because that is the only way that we will have any chance of abolishing the Electoral College and um, allowing each person's vote to actually matter. mean I know. The same I as know. everybody it, else's. Like, the Electoral College is outdated and it, it just needs to go. But before 100%. we go, Keegan, I don't think you ever talked about the slow transition of power being one of the reasons. Get oh, into I that didn't. really quick before we get to the end of the episode. I want to talk about that. So that's that's really more of an aside, but I did mention it on our mini episode. And it was just kind of an interesting fact that I found whenever I was looking up, if you haven't listened to our mini episode, I was talking about um, kind of Trump trying to block the Biden administration from being able to access all of the information yeah. they need in order to transition uh, into the presidency. And the, a part of the reason why that is so important is because because it took so long for this to be figured out, the 2000 election to be figured out, because we wasted essentially almost 40 days trying to figure out who uh -huh. was the president. Not wasted. It was necessary. But because it took almost 40 days, the, by the time it was announced that Bush would be the president to the time that he was inaugurated, it was a very small yeah. window of time. And so they weren't given the same amount um the same transition period as another candidate right. would be given. And that transition period is vital for relaying important national security information. And so there was an official report um, on the September 11th, 2001 terror attacks that warned that the shortened transition period contributed to a lack of preparedness on the day. So it is. it just highlights, it just goes to show you how important it is that our election process function 
quickly, easily, that we have a peaceful, smooth transition of power um, from one president to the next because any wasted time could have devastating consequences. Now, I'm not saying that it would have worked out differently necessarily. It still would have happened. On September 11th. Right. I don't know the, the details or the ins and outs, but I do know that it was important enough for them to highlight that in an official report on the terror attacks of Definitely. September 11th, that this shortened transition period um, was a real issue and, and led to real issues down the line. Yeah, because, so. I mean, this happened fairly quickly into his presidency, right? Very quickly. So, um, you know, that election took place in November of 2000. He was finally confirmed as the president-elect in yep. December, was inaugurated in January and of 2001, and then in September. So he's yeah, a new president. It's, it's crazy. I can definitely see where having had all of the information and also just having more experience as the president, I'm sure would have been more helpful at that time. As much as I despise the guy, Uh, I do think that in the actual moment of when the attacks happened, I do think that he handled that as well as one could have. I just have a lot of issues with everything he did afterwards. (laughs) Here's the thing. Controversial opinion coming at you hot takes. I don't think that Bush is a bad person. Like, I actually don't. And I don't think he's a bad. I don't think he's a bad human being. Like, I don't think that he is an evil person. Um, And I don't think that he means, I I think that he probably means well. I just think that he is an easily led person and that made him a very bad leader. And unfortunately, being a bad leader in a country that has the most powerful military in the world leads to disastrous consequences that costs a lot of people their lives. Um, And we cannot sweep that under the rug or forgive that just because he seems like a nice old man who likes to paint pictures. Yeah, that's my my thing is that I think too many people like to plead ignorance with him. And while I very much agree with that, I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think he's evil. Uh, I also was raised in a home where my dad spoke very vocally about his hatred for the man and why. So I have just this very deep seated like resentment toward him and dislike, which is why even when Max is like, I would love to like sit and have a beer with him. I'm like, I just can't. I can't look at the man without thinking about all the lives that he (laughs) destroyed. I haven't read about this in a long time, but it did stick with me when I read about it years and years ago. And it was they talked about it in regards to the Holocaust and World War II, and it was the banality of evil, right? It's like, evil is boring. It's not necessarily, like, it's not a Bond villain. It's not somebody sitting there, like, nefariously, you know, plotting. And while I think Cheney might be dangerously close to that. I was going to say, Cheney might challenge you there. Bush is not that. He he isn't that like he is probably somebody who always wanted daddy's yeah. approval. And so he became the president of the United States. Something terrible happened and he got oh, in over totally. his head. Right. Like he was probably hoping to have four years of just like super chill presidency so he could get out, make daddy yeah. happy and go on to live a good life as a weird old man who can't get his ring poncho <laughs> on. But unfortunately, that's not how it worked out for I anybody. Know. And, and unfortunately, we had eight years of him. But then we had Obama. Yeah. But 
Oh boy! Then, then we, we had, had so it swings. The pendulum <laughs> swings. These are oh, the days of yes, our lives. Oh yes, they are. But I had I had a good time revisiting this, especially because it was something that was on my mind so much leading up to this election. I am glad, however, that we got a a bit of a break between last week and this week of our notes a bit of, of talking about this as well and now having a full picture of what the election looked like and kind of where we are now it's interesting to see how history has treated some of these disputes in the past so i hope that you all really enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed talking about it if you have anything that you would like for us to talk about any topic ideas go ahead and shoot them our way at neighborhoodfeminist@gmail.com at gmail.com or direct message us on instagram at angry neighborhood feminist we have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast. Y A N F Podcast. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is how you can help us out the most. And last but not least, if you don't already, go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public. It is a free way for you to listen and it helps us out just a tiny bit. All right. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage to on. rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.